This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The major players are looking at your house through Google Maps. They're looking at what neighborhood you're in. They, they see what route you take to your job based on your cell phone connectivity to towers because they can profile you for knowing exactly how much money you're worth probably paying based on whatever scam might be appropriate. I have a pretty unorthodox um, path. Um, started many years ago, mid-90s. I was actually doing what is, uh, I guess, a watered-down version of what I was doing. It's called competitive intelligence, otherwise known as corporate spy work or corporate espionage work, but I was doing it overseas. So, and I was doing it well before there were any real laws wrapped around that kind of thing. So my job really was if a large entity, whether it was a company or government needed information about a competitive environment, I would be the guy they would call with my team to go get that. So I lived a very similar life in a lot of ways to people that you probably interview quite a bit, but I did it as a very high end consultative practice for those companies. And I got, I was very successful at it, um, decided to branch out and build a U.S. operation for it in the early 2000s. And uh, funny story is I brought my consultancy to the U.S. I got my stationery created. I got my business cards done. I got the website going and I was ready to go. And then 9-11 happened. And I was like, Damn it. This is how everyone did. It was like, wow, that's a shock. This is going to be bad. And the economy took a, a hit. And basically, companies kind of clammed up on buying what they would consider more luxury-like capabilities and services, which I never considered a luxury. But unfortunately, they were too busy trying to do their day-to-day business rather than hire a spook like me to go figure out what was going on with their competitors. And so uh, over a sushi lunch one day, a friend of mine who was in, in the cybersecurity industry said, look, he goes, dude, who better in the world to call and ask how a guy like you would hack into them than you? So why don't you just offer counter intel capabilities? Right. I was like, that's actually not a bad idea. So so almost over the next like two, two and a half, three weeks, I, I sort of pivoted my whole firm from being a competitive intelligence company to being a counterintelligence company. And so this is the early 2000s. Cyber or what was called InfoSec was just kind of burgeoning. It was still an early nascent thing. Companies, if you ask someone about information security or whatever, people would probably talk about antiviruses at best. McAfee or Norton or right. Mantech, I think would probably be it. People or firewalls, maybe that would be a word that people would know. Uh, but that was it. That was about it. And so little by little, I gained a pretty interesting customer base of organizations and um, mainly organizations at the time that wanted to make sure that their systems were up to, up to snuff and able to be secured against, against threat actors. And uh, that, that carried on for about 15 years. Uh, I, in, that, in, that, in that set of years, I built companies that actually built security and intelligence-based products and sold those companies off, which made me even more money because you're selling a whole organization that has intellectual property. And um, I still do that today. So I still build companies that build 
security uh, or cybersecurity like products or intelligence based products. But I've gone back to my roots now and I actually do provide counterintelligence consulting, but more to family offices and ultra high net worth individuals, groups that have a lot to lose and that, that don't really understand what vectors of attack they may be subject to or what kind of individuals or groups they might be interest, interesting, find them interesting to attack. So I have a really interesting job where I have to think like the bad guys and advise my client and customers on what they're likely in for. Um, so it's kind of a dream job. Um, you know, say, I, should, I should get into that too, right? Like, yeah. didn't we mention that? Like, yeah, you but, should. You know, I don't know the, but I don't know the the cyber part of it enough. Well, Matt, than, you know, it, it doesn't, it, the cyber is just a speed issue. It's not the actual tactic. So what you did, you're an innovator and in, I'm not sure I praise the crime part of your job or whatever. I'm praising the right. skill that you're able to manifest and the way you think is actually an asset. And, uh, you know, probably get into that i was gonna say even if i was gonna say uh even now like i mean and and i don't really have any knowledge on how things work but i mean i get stuff all the time from you know let's let's say you know capital one bank and i and i or or capital one credit card like i have a couple capital one credit cards so i i get them you know they send it to me and i in i never click on it you know, yeah. I never click on it. I, I think, well, I'll go to the app that's on my phone. You know what I'm saying? Or I'll like, I'm not going to click on this thing because I don't know who this is. I don't know. It looks all right. Or anything that I question, I always go to the, you know, I always end up going to the, you know, to who sent it to me. Was it Capital One? Was it the bank? Was it this? Was it, you know, and then suddenly it's a bunch of numbers and letters. It's like, okay, this is just some generated thing. And it's like, it, you know, and I always tend to get, I just, I tend to have a great spidey sense, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. super big on intuition. I mean, I'm a big believer in intuition. Uh, so well, you're right on. And well, this is what's interesting. Those threat actors and the, the sophisticated ones, everything from, you know, the nation state groups, like when, before we got on the call, we, we talked about Lazarus, you know, from North Korea, they, they, they thrive on duping people that are less discerning than you into doing things. Right. Uh, and they're looking to harvest everything from financial you know means getting people to pay up in crypto and all kinds of stuff and and everything else so so you but i'd be curious about something did you get taught that or did you naturally feel like you need to be more discerning and skeptical of what you're getting was that just in you naturally to do that i mean obviously from just just growing up i think i've always been someone who's who's kind of thought how does that work mm-hmm. how would if I didn't want to do it that way, how could I do it this? Like I've always been very, you know, I've always been very, I want to say smart. It was, I always think of it as just being clever. You know, I've yeah. always been super clever. Um, and yeah, it, it, I'm very, I'm like, I, have, I have a degree, my degrees in fine arts, you know? So like, I don't have a normal degree and it always, mm-hmm. and I remember my teachers were always explaining that, look, you know, if an artist designed this, then an artist can figure out how to replicate it. Or how right. to improve on, or how to do something along those lines. But, and I, but I definitely think going to prison and meeting all of the various different types of criminals and hearing all the different types of scams and that definitely spiked my uh, my intuition at the very least because you very quickly question everything when someone approaches you. And I'm always very polite. You know, I was raised by a strict Catholic 
woman who was, you know, my mom was very, no matter what, you be polite. Doesn't matter. You tell someone, you know, no, no matter how you do it, you you do it politely. And so right. I've always been very polite, but I can be very, very polite to you while internally mm-hmm. thinking something's not right. That doesn't sound right. You would never know I'm questioning you. Sure. But yeah, I'm not, I don't jump into anything right away. And 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 my dad had there was just tons of things that he would mention to me. Just, you know, he worked for State Farm uh insurance for gosh, for like 50 years. He grad, I mean, he he worked till he was 70 something. Was it 50 or 40? Probably 40 years. Yeah, 40, 45 years. But he was very big on um on questioning people, asking questions about things. Um, making phone calls. Uh, he was like, nobody's ever going to not hire you because you called back two days later. And they said, oh, okay, right. we'll let you know. We'll give you a call uh, within the week and calling back two days later. It's like, they're not going to say, oh, you've called me twice and I told you I'd call you back. I'm not going to hire you. He's like, that's not going to happen. You know? So, um, but yeah, I there's there's just lots of things along those lines. And, but one of the things you, when you were talking about kind of like the... Um, I don't know. I thought I thought of corporate espionage. I remember I read a book called, and it was a it was a novel. It was called um, Paranoia. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever read. It was it was great. It was about a about one company planting someone inside mm-hmm. of another company to get into a. And the guy worked there for six months or a year and became like a. He he slowly got up to become a. Um, I don't know, some kind of vice president or something, but it it was a it was a great book, and it was yeah. it was all to try and get you know corporate information, and and that's the evolution for me because the it started with getting information on a personal level, person to person, so social engineering and and using those methods and tactics and collecting a little bit of information and then feeding it to another person that now is armed with that information and then go meet that person. In a, in a what would seem like a serendipitous way to then get more information because now you've got some commonality. And it was this sort of process to use a whole team to get this detail. And usually they'd include you know, everything from people that might look like colleagues in the gym that were just jogging on the treadmill next to you to beautiful women sitting at a bar that probably shouldn't be the right, you know, you, you'd have to like find the right type of woman that might be a appropriate fit for that guy because if it's a supermodel and he's not exactly the kind of guy to pull some woman like that it would never work but you get someone that is on par with that person then you've got armed her with information about some sort of trade show that you know you know he went to and she'd be like oh weren't you at so-and-so trade show you know two years ago i think we ran into each other and of course he's gonna say yes and so it was really interesting the way we would do that the evolution of that for me was it just simply went from a human, or to use a government terminology, humans, human intelligence gathering process to a cyber to signals intelligence ability to out there. So that's kind of where I landed. All these years later, it's sort of the same thing, just done electronically. Uh, do you know who Andrew Bustamante is? God, that name sounds so familiar. Um. So um, he, not, he's. He's a former, um, he is a former, uh, CIA, I want to say spy, you know, he's a former CIA spy and, uh, I interviewed him the other day and he has, he's one of the things he does is he meets with, he does, of course he does security. He 
Well, he did do security, but he also does. And, and keep in mind, he was, he went under for, you know, three months, six months, nine months, 18 months, you know, right. ended. And he's got, he does, he has a podcast called everyday spy, but he mm-hmm. also does talks and he does workshops and, um, they're all kind of based on like things that spies do every day. Like how do you become an everyday spy? Like it seems hokey, but it, it, it actually is. He's, he's an interesting, interesting guy. You've seen, he was on Lex Friedman. He was on okay. like, he's, he's, yeah. he's huge, right? He's uh super interesting guy, but definitely uh, somebody that may, that maybe I was going to say, if you were talking about high net individuals, they would get a kick out of him. Like he's in, yeah. very articulate, obviously smart. Uh, really sure. interesting guy, but I was gonna say, you know who uh, Victor Lusting is? No, I don't think so. He's no, a scam scam artist. He's like he is the guy that I'm sure you've heard this. He sold the Eiffel Tower for scrap twice. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, <laughs> and he, he had he had a set of rules that he that he lived by. That like how to it was like how do you con someone? Right. And one of the ways a lot of people don't realize this is that. Initially, what he did was he he rode or sailed uh, cruise lines. Interesting. This is, this is back uh, prior to uh, prior to World War One. Wow. This is in the, in the early teens, uh, you know, nineteen uh, in, in the teens. So he and he did this for years, back and forth, back and forth. And you know, one of the things they asked, you know, he was asked later on in life was like, "How did you?" S-? And he would scam people out of money. He had a, a yeah. very he had a very common story that he told people, and they always wanted to invest. And by the time he got off the boat, he had multiple people that wanted to invest in his place. He was in product. He was you know there weren't movies, so he was in production to make plays. He had very successful plays. He's on mm-hmm. this cruise that's super expensive to be on. He meets these. He's now stuck with these high net individuals, like you said, and yeah. he tells them he's in it. In a world that they think is very sexy, they've all been the plays. They can all they're all doing the calculations on how much money these things make. And yeah. so he he would on the cruise, he would go to Europe and back, Europe and back. And every time he would get two, three people. It got so bad he had to keep switching cruise lines because they were wow. would look for him. But once again, you don't have a photo of him. This is back in, like I said, the early teens. Um, and one of his he had a very basic set of rules. And they were like, you, 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 if you, if you you should look them up, they're great. They're, it's basic. And they're so simple. It's like, don't, um, like, don't talk. First of all, don't talk a lot. Yeah. Uh, introduce or introduce a subject like, um, religion, whatever Mm -hmm. your, whatever your mark says their religion is, you be that religion. You know, yeah. if you like, no matter what they said, you, you'd never be disagreeable. You always agree. You always wait for them to, to hint at their political beliefs and you agree and you support those political gr- beliefs. Right. You, I mean, he had a whole series of little, and there was nothing, there were nothing, but it was yeah. just being really being agreeable. Yeah. Well, it's identification. People all of a sudden feel like you're in, you're, you're in, you know, birds of a feather flock together, as they say. Right. Right. And, and, and if you have the means to sort of predict what they want to hear based on what they've said, you win. Uh, I couldn't agree more. That's brilliant. No, no, I mean, that's really cool, especially from the era that he's coming from because, and you know, what's so funny is that 
you know, we, we get wrapped up in the cyber thing that it's super technical, right? You know, people, you know, yeah, yeah, it is. But but there, it's back to common sense. It's back to common sense. It's that you don't want to create this elaborate text message if you're trying to scam someone through your through a cell phone. Right. And, and get people, you know, like, oh, well, that's not real. You know, this is why things like the AI stuff scary because it's starting to make it simple again. It's starting to reduce it down to something that sounds cute, natural language like. And right. uh, yeah, back to common sense, 100%. Yeah, it's crazy. I had watched a few videos with the uh, um, the Lazarus group, and and I guess that that you know the amount of the Bitcoin that they'd stolen, and they couldn't quite track the, you know, well they can track the Bitcoin, but they, you know, because they can only get launder it through these exchanges, you know, they ended up recovering something like, forget what it was, two hundred and sixty million or something out of three hundred million, or uh, and mm-hmm. and it was like wow, they got that that money back well they still ended up with like 40 something or close to 40 million dollars and i was like hey, that's a nice lick so yeah. i was thinking i mean if if your fallback of uh position is 40 million wow uh not that not that those guys saw any of that i mean it's all um you know from my understanding well it's it's all uh state you know sponsored um, well, that's interesting, and we'll you know get into this if you're interested. The this I just had this conversation five minutes before I jumped on the show with you that cool. people still bifurcate nation state with threat actors that are you know independent or criminals or whatever cyber criminals, and they're actually very overlapping. So a lot of nation state skilled actors like out of Russia or whatever or China or South or North Korea, excuse me. They're working. They're night. They're moonlighting as cyber criminals doing this kind of stuff because they have the skills, right? You know, well, I mean, they've got I can, resources. I can see that in China. I definitely see it in Russia. But I mean, in North mm-hmm. Korea, I mean, those it. You know, mm-hmm. you're not accessing the. It ve- must be very difficult to access the internet if that's possible at all. So I mean, these are guys that are that that you know it's it's been proven that they're working for the the north koreans just to generate money for the the regime right so which yeah. to me you know i i well you know it's funny too because unfortunately the whole time i'm watching the program on on the lazarus group and so for like mm-hmm. well can you basically give like a minute or two explanation of what happened uh with that well so there's just for the, people, the one thing watching I'm, just, just to be clear, you, I, I, the specific incident you're talking about is one of many. So this group's still active. So there's no shutting down of them, so to speak. Oh, yeah, it's and, billions. Yeah. We're talking about they about billions. Huge, huge. And what's interesting is that, um, and, and just for context, you know, and, and uh, you know, I don't know how you want to kind of drive toward getting into this conversation. We're kind of in it already, which is interesting. The size of these... Um, these polls, as you put it, or licks as a good word for it, are massive. I mean, they absolutely dwarf anything else that's kind of physically done where you're going into one location. It's just unbelievable. What's really interesting and where I'm hoping we'll land in the conversation is around the ransomware operators that dwarf the Lazarus stuff too. But by the way, just Lazarus for context for to your viewership that, you know, this is a North Korean sponsored, we'll call it group 
at least the best of our abilities from an attribution standpoint. You know, attribution is really hard when it comes to the internet stuff. You don't always know who's really behind it. A lot of what you do technically is look for similarities in how some of the codes written, maybe the tactics they're using to deploy the, the what we'll call implants, right, which is malware. Um, that usually is a is a pretty good giveaway on who's doing it. There's a wrench in the system now, Matthew, which is that now with things like the AI tools that we have, like ChatGPT and all that, you can make your code look like it was written by someone else entirely, and it'll set it'll send law enforcement on a completely different scent than who you are. So this attribution portion of the of the process has gotten to be very difficult. It's always been hard. It's even harder now. I guess is the best way to put it. But you're right. Um, back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, there was a very big crypto scamming aspect to their operation, but it was that was sort of the smallest part of what they're really up to, which is information stealing, other types of financial theft. This was a good smokescreen in a lot of ways for everything else that they're up to. And they're all learning from each other too as we get into the conversation. There's massive syndicates of these guys and they have different sort of roles, responsibilities. Some are access brokers. They just simply get you access to what you want. Then they affiliatize the access to others to get in that are a little more cavalier. Sometimes they'll broker access to people that are bulls in a china shop and make a mess of things so that it'll send everyone off on a wild goose chase to chase the affiliate they got in but not the actual access broker. So I'm getting into the weeds here and I'm happy to define some of those concepts, but yeah. What's the uh, access broker? You mean someone who like is working for the company? No access brokerage in, in, in the world of cyber or, you know, nation state sort of cyber activities has to do with the, in human terms, it's the person with the key to the vault of the bank. They give it out so people can go and do what they want to do in the vault. They don't actually go in themselves. They simply pay, get paid for the access to it. And they're the ones that build the more sophisticated methods to get in to an environment electronically. And then what we call maintain persistence. So they'll not only open the door, but then they'll leave something in there that keeps the door open. They'll wedge it open with something so that then they can broker that access to that environment to a bunch of people. So this is what makes this very difficult is that it's not as clean cut as people might think. It's not like hacker A goes and hacks and steals and does all this and then leaves. Today, it's it's a gigantic op, you know, organized business situation where there's the people that will get access to the environments, then they'll broker the access out on the dark web to the highest bidders or people that are lined up to sort of buy the access. How like is that? that? I understand. So how does that person get that access? Like... For instance, mm-hmm. I I I was watching one program that was talking about North. This was once again. This was all kind of North North Korea. Um, sure, but it was th- that apparently there's like an entire you know section or division in North Korea for for hackers or s you know mm-hmm. sometimes it's espionage based. Also, okay. where they'll have some guy. Get so a North Korean who's highly talented get a job working, you know, programming or doing whatever, and he'll work there for six months or a year, however long it is, and become a valued sure. employee. And mm-hmm. the you know the bank, some some bank or financial institution or whatever it may be, is in the UK uh, or you know, whatever somewhere in Europe or maybe it's in the United States sure. and. They love this employee. They think he's great. They don't realize he's in North Korea. They think maybe he's 
who knows where they think he is, you know, Malaysia, you know, right. wherever. And, and so they work with him and they think he's great. And then eventually he gets to a point where he's gained access to their system. And, yes. and that's really his goal. And he's getting a paycheck. Like if he makes, if he makes 150 or 200,000 a year, like that money goes into the North Korean coffers and he gets mm -hmm. his $15,000 a year, which is still good mm -hmm. money. Mm -hmm. And, and he's allowed to, of course, you know, work this job and, and then garner uh information or maybe uh you know maybe put himself in a position where he can steal money or give someone access you know so that's when that's why i thought when you meant an access broker someone who that in the system. yeah that's absolutely a version of it it's the slow long-term long-term kind of covert deployment of a real person to social engineer their way in and do do that right absolutely 100 percent what's more alarming is that you can do that exact thing with malware spread out cat like shotgun approach to thousands of organizations get that malware in there that starts to laterally move and it literally it's called blast radius it lands on an hr lady's computer let's call it martha's computer who runs hr in company x she opens emails up and reads resumes every day it's her job right. you weaponize one of those resumes and that that resume gets opened by her to read it. It opens. It's a real resume, but alongside that resume being opened is a piece of malware that gets deployed on her computer. And then what it does is it looks for every other computer connected to hers, and it laterally moves and spreads itself out to the organization. And not only does it do that, it reports back to its owner about where it is, what it's found, and everything else, just like the guy you're talking about, but done in an electronic fashion. It's very streamlined, very efficient. And then multiply that times thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of computers times thousands of companies, you've got a really, really powerful intelligence collection capability to then figure out who you're going to go and attack. Is is that how the Lazarus group got access to that? To basically it was like it was like three hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin, the the one right. one of the cases that I had seen. And they moved it like a like Overnight, within like a week, there was like something like the Chinese holiday or something. And like they had like a, yeah. they had like five or six days that they were able to do this. And even when it was detected, yeah. they couldn't notify, they couldn't get a hold of anybody because all the banks were, it was a holiday. Yeah. Yep. And um, all that was planned. All that was right. by design. So it's just like good old school art of war, Matthew, where wait for a, a moonless night to do your attack. <laughs> same thing i mean it's it, you know it's funny how history repeats itself when it comes to like military strategy or espionage tactics or tradecraft they're always the same strategies which is catch people off guard wait till there's some sort of political holiday or, or national holiday to get people when there's a skeleton crew on staff where they really can't respond um right. and things like with crypto just really quick just to address that piece of it you know ironically it was bitcoin right which is something yeah. that now has proven to be quite traceable like if you've got the right utilities and tools and talent you can figure out where things are going but there's so many cryptocurrencies that are not traceable like that they have really true an anonymity and had they decided to simply shift the currency into a more anonymous uh altcoin or whatever you want to call it they could have gone un gone aground and, and there was no retrieving anything so it's kind of interesting that you know, and this is old, right? This is not a recent situation. So these days they've gotten a little smarter about hiding their, their tracks. Well, they they did switch a, 
a portion, you know, portions of it. They could only switch, you know, so much. And and they they knew they were being tracked. The problem is they had to go through mm-hmm. an exchange in order to launder it. They had to go through an exchange, which this is what killed me yeah. is that it's like, okay, you have to go through an exchange to convert this to actual cash and get it into, and they're trying to make it obviously, you know, completely anonymous, but it's being tracked thus far. It was being tracked. And right. eventually they ended up moving like 80% of it to, to an exchange that was extremely credible. And, you know, they, mm-hmm. opt for, you know, when I watched this, they, they were like, like, we have no idea why they thought that this exchange would do this for them. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like they were like, like yeah. typically they'll go to a questionable exchange that doesn't ask right. a lot of questions. And they were like, so we are fear, what, but you can only move so much through that. And they said, for some reason they moved it here and we just contacted them and they froze the amount, the money. And they were like, so they got lucky and they, they did it yeah. getting 40 million. What, what I didn't understand was, you know, it was all, I don't know, it's North Korea. I, I, I kept thinking like, why wouldn't you have already gone somewhere in Europe mm-hmm. and, you mm-hmm. know, you could steal some, steal identities, get passports, go to Europe, oh, establish ac- accounts that would allow you to move that money very quickly. And it would have become anonymous. Like you can, you can wire it into whatever, 40 or 50 or a hundred different banks and then wire it again. Yeah. And you only need a fake identity to do that or steal someone's real identity. You know, yeah. 10, 10 people's real identities, multiple corporations, multiple bank accounts. Now it may take some time, but at least the people that were tracking the, the Bitcoin would have been lost mm-hmm. at that point. At that right. point, they would have been like, okay, this was just converted to cash and placed in several Romanian banks, you know, mm-hmm. and now it's been, mm-hmm. and people are cashing it out. People are moving it to different corporate accounts. People are moving it throughout Europe. Now we've got a yeah. problem, but for some right. reason, we just. Well, you know, it's interesting, Matthew. So two things, one in my entire career, the way we've generally caught people, uh, especially from a cyber perspective is some failure along the way where they've forgotten to cover something up or they've misstepped in, in an area where they thought they were being a little overzealous. Like if I were to speculate, and this is purely speculation about why they maybe went to a very legitimate exchange was to hide in plain sight, right? To have something there because it's well known that these less savory exchanges maybe couldn't handle the volume perhaps and are imminently under the watch of the Interpol or FBI or others, right? So it's almost like, let's go where they're not going to necessarily look or expect us to go. Of course, the controls that were in place did catch it and they lost out big. The other half of this is that there's, it's an interesting concept because you're talking about the final stages of the exfil of the, of the money. No matter how sophisticated they might be, this is still a fairly new thing meaning crypto and using it as a utility for massive harvesting of intel you know money and all that it's still kind of new so you know we're kind of judging the op in the armchair you've probably heard that term before where we're sort of saying well obviously they should have gone here and it's like but you'd be surprised how many times people that are really sophisticated screw up i mean for example some of the more nation state groups that i chase around the ones that are government funded and have the means they don't cover their tracks in any way when they're doing kind of the setup of their infrastructure sometimes completely. They just leave it wide open because they never 
they make the assumption that no one's ever going to go dig there. Right. They assume that we're going to track the movement of the data or we're going to track the movement of the crypto, which is indeed what normally happens. No one looks at the infrastructure, so therefore not wor- let's not worry about it. And they learn from the pain of failing there. So you can bet your bottom dollar those guys will probably never use a very good, trustworthy exchange again. Right. To maybe Because it may have been a miscalculation. It may have been something where they thought that this was going to be the best place to keep something that was never going to be tangled with because it looks truly legit. They they um, they still made forty like a forty million yeah. failure. Like I'm ready to like let me fail. Like that's that's a <laughs> hell of a failure. You know that's a yeah that's an amazing. Yeah. But you're right. I I always you know I'll I'll interview these these guys that you know have been in prison and the, you know the running scams, and it's always something like you did, you know. You got the fake IDs. You got the credit cards. You got the uh, uh, the passports. You you set up the corporations. You opened the bank accounts. You had people in between you and them. Nobody knew your location. You had all these drop phones. You had all of this. You did this, mm-hmm. this like all of these things, and then you went to a you went and rented a room using a stolen yeah. credit card. Like you have half a million dollars in the bank account, a couple hundred thousand in cash, and you used, and you're in the middle of running a multi-million dollar scam and you used a stolen credit card for a thousand dollar hotel room bill. Yeah. Why? Yeah, like, 100%. It's, it's the think- old... Yeah, it's it's Al Capone's tra- uh, tax records story, right? The famous one. It's the tail light out on the car in the getaway that gets it pulled yeah, over, not I because was, they're. It's I use that all the time. I always say, "Listen, I'm not yeah. one of these guys that's going to be driving around uh, with a stolen car and a broken tail light and a body <laughs> in the trunk. Like that's not yeah. me. I'm yeah. I'm crossing all my T's, dotting all my I's. Yep, but, but I'm exactly. pretty patient, so. That's a key thing, right? You, the 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 genius is it's the obsessive, the obsessive compulsiveness that makes separates the men from the boys in that space, even in cyber. And I think it would probably be very similar in your way in your world, which right. is that the ones that are meticulous usually win because they're they're really really obsessive about perfection, and they're they're really big on making sure that the the op is clean from the start. And there's this. There's this, it's an art form again, back to that, that concept. I'm not trying to praise it per se. I mean, you know, but you have to appreciate the sophistication of some of these groups that are perfect with their zero residual presence of things or how they're able to completely eradicate anything. It's pretty amazing. Well, Um, I mean, and it takes a lot of effort. You know, I think everything is kind of like that though. Look at like Steve Jobs is like, you know, this amazing visionary. Mm Mm-hmm horrible interpersonal relationships you know what i'm saying exactly Horrendous. it's like same thing you know you look at someone like you know ceos or or presidents you know just complete mm-hmm. narcissists that make their way all the way up the chain but the fact mm-hmm. is, is that well if he wasn't a narcissist if he wasn't a narcissist he would have never made it up the chain you know right and, and and what makes some ceos amazing ceos or entrepreneurs are the same things that make them detrimental to be around very much you, you so. know it, it's like it's the same thing with like like committing you know any, any type of crime like they you know or or you know in the criminal world like you know these guys like you're taking all these painstaking um precautions and then you make one little slip up because 
you think I've I've done such an amazing job here that nobody's going to catch that. Yeah. yeah, and Matthew, you're you're right. I mean, look, victim of your own success is real in this space, especially with the volumes of money we're talking about. You know, it's not just one bank heist; it's effectively thousands of bank heists all at once, right? And here's an interesting thing. I mean, you start looking at some of the um, really, really sophisticated, you know, Caucasus region or or Balkan, maybe you know, Russian esque groups, and you saw the pictures of them sitting in Saint-Tropez on these massive yachts with like a freaking ocelot, right? It's right. like, you're going to get caught doing that. That's, I mean, you know, you, there's no discretion after a while. There, there's an over, there's a, there's a, there's a megalomaniac quality that kicks in with the ones that are a little less than, than disciplined and have the means to kind of win on a perpetual, but it's kind of like I was on a friend the other day about watching world, uh, world tour poker or world championship poker games. And it's always the same people that seem to end up at the last rounds of these things. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. It's because they're very disciplined. They're playing yeah, without it's not emotional luck. eye to it. No, it's not luck at all. Um, it's not luck. Yeah. I was just, I w- when you were, you were mentioning like, I, I know I saw this one about these, this Russian hacking group mm-hmm. that had stolen. I forget how much, uh, cryptocurrency they'd stolen. I mean, it was, it was, it was outrageous and they're, you know, because they're in Russia, you know, they're, Mm -hmm. they're on social media, they're driving, um, these, you know, these Audi that I forget what the Audi a, is it R8 R8 sports Mm -hmm. car doing donuts. They're driving Ferraris. They're just, they're talking, they're holding up stacks of money. They're yeah. You know, look at us, look at it. And it's just like, Wow, you're like you better never leave Russia. Like you're gonna, you <laughs> yeah. know, they, they they end up going somewhere where they think, ah, eh, you know, we're gonna yeah. I'll pop into this country right here. Nobody's paying attention now. Countries are patient. Yeah. You know, they throw an they indictment and are. a red notice out there and just wait. Yeah, well, this is the thing that that's funny is that you know you you talk about you know among the the criminal underground from a cyber perspective, they they look at the law enforcement groups as slow and plotting and not that sharp and they're not going to hire the best talent ever because it's a government it's the same story right i think that's right. it holds true across all forms of whether it's kinetic or cyber or whatever the problem is you nailed it you said exactly what i say all the time is that they have all the time and the money in the world they're not I, no I rush either thinking. that's what i was just thinking yeah. yeah but they they have an inexhaustible budget manpower yeah. and time yes so you're always looking over your shoulder you're constantly running so in some ways, I think that psychology is what gets to these guys a bit. I think they're kind of like, well, the, you know, the, the, the time will come and I won't be able to enjoy some of this. They the, sort of throw caution to the wind and they get a little wild and crazy with their, uh, with their, with their success. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. But then there are these others that are, that are very methodical, like the ransomware operators. And they've made out billions worth of, 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 of winnings out of this stuff, not, not millions anymore. And, um, the scary part is now they're, they're figuring out how to refine that process, Matthew, where they're going to go after groups that are otherwise not normally targeted. They'll go after the average individual or someone that can pay them 5,000 used to be go after big companies, get something on the inside of the network to encrypt everything and then hold them hostage and say, I'll give you the key if you pay me X amount of money. Right. That's, that's the classic ransomware scheme. 
which was very successful and they made a ton of money and they even got it working where they knew a company had cyber insurance and they would actually intentionally hack that organization knowing that they had a policy that would cover it. So they had a really clean plan for saying, here's our premium list of what we're going to hack into. Here's our less than premium. Here's our like kind of, we'll net them. And if we get them, great. If not, who cares? Because they're not actually the ones we know are going to pay. So they figured out the the situation here, which is, it's, it's frankly the same thing as any kind of fraud in terms of insurance fraud. If you know that there's going to be a payout, you do things in the exact way that you know that the, the claim can be made and the money will be paid. And and what's ironic is that you look at the stats online for ransomware uh, over the last, I don't know, four years, pre-pandemic through the pandemic to now. I mean, Matthew, you're talking about a fraction of what's been reported. I mean, really, like, or that, that of what is reported, like the rest that's happened, no one's ever said anything about. It's all brushing on the carpet. So I don't. I think that the vast majority of organizations have probably had a brush with it and paid, uh, and I not told say, anyone about it. Yeah. What was it? The Sands Casino? Which casino was it? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a the in uh, in Vegas, and that was a wasn't that a Russian based? Was it a Russian? The based Sands. Group? The Sands was Iranian, uh, if I'm oh. remembering correctly. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, you're talking another situation that's not even two and a half, three weeks ago, MGM was in the news. Oh, with, that's right. With I was going to say yeah. MGM was, that's the one I thought was yeah. Russian because that was recent. Yeah. That's, that's likely at least from an attribution with the people I've talked to, it seems like it was probably Russian in origin. Correct. But they, they first hit another casino mm-hmm. in Vegas a week or so beforehand and they paid. Yeah. That, yeah. And that's what and I had get- heard. Yeah, and get this. This is what's really interesting. There's a high likelihood that they, what it's called island hopping. It's like a military term they've commandeered for cyber, which is nice. If I want to get to Matthew, I'm going to go get his World War II, Pacific War. I love World War. It's exactly what it is. Totally, man. So if I want to get to Matthew, I know he's really good at security, but his neighbor's not. And he has really close ties with his neighbor. In fact, Matthew lets his neighbor in the house every now and then if they need like something when he's not at home. And so they have a key. So if I go hack into the neighbor, I'll get into Matthew through a weak point of his operational security, which is his partner or his third party partner or his customer or something like that. So what's fascinating about this is that now in in the world that we're in today, everything's so interconnected. There's no way to really know whether you're buttoned up or not. You might have all of it. But that doesn't mean all the partners that you work with that are usually smaller and less capable have it all buttoned up. And they have direct connectivity into your environment. So it's a one-way ticket inward if you get into these smaller groups that are all the supply. It's like the Target hack, the most famous one, probably one of the most famous hacks ever, TJ Maxx and Target from a cyber perspective. Those are like legendary hacks, right? Because the threat actor in Target got into Target's main network by hacking into the HVAC system access the the literally the air conditioner system vendor got it had had access to the main network and they got into those guys and then they bounced right through they essentially daisy chain themselves into the main network at Target so this is something that's commonplace now and so it's becoming in almost a whack a mole problem for for the law enforcement groups to go chase around because you can't secure everything you can't build a big enough tall enough wall to secure everything. What you have to do is now build things that become a deterrent for the threat actor to come after you. You have to become a pain in the ass to hack, right? 
and let them move on to lower hanging fruit rather than trying to assume you're going to build something that's impenetrable. I was going to say, whenever I'll talk with people about, um, you know, about fraud and I do these, you know, these talks, you know, you, you tend to get the same questions over and over again, you know, and one of those questions is always like, well, how can we stop this from happening? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and the problem is they, they always think that I'm going to be able to say, oh, well, you have to do this. First I'll be like, well, is this, is this, are you able to stop this? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You can stop it. It it can be stopped. You know, fraud can be stopped. Here's the problem. You now make it but to do that, you have to make it so difficult. You've eliminated normal people from obtaining yeah. loans. So it's like you, there's that balance. How do we? How do you still make the system manageable and usable and friendly enough to get ha- allow people to apply for loans and get loans, and also? eliminate as much fraud you know it, it, it's a balancing like you it can is. eliminate it if you want to go and make every phone call and check every and, and order all those documents if you want to dump fifteen hundred dollars if you want to change underwriting from being a 250 dollars expense and turn it into a two thousand dollar expense or three thousand dollar expense you can do that but when they start yeah. doing the numbers it's like okay well now it's not worth it's not worth doing the loan we lose 100%. more money on allowing the fraud to go through right so it's so funny this is great so i have this story i used to tell uh well not story this concept that that if you want to do ultimate security i don't care if it's physical security or cyber same concept right ultimate security is no windows no doors no light no life it's over because if you yeah. lock it up to the point where it actually is truly quote unquote secure, it's it's just not functional to your point, just to kind of extra double down on what you're saying, because you're completely correct. But then there's another aspect here. So yes, it's all about risk tolerance and management, right? Mainly with these companies, whether it's a physical level of tolerance, because if you make it look like Fort Knox, it might deter folks that you've talked to in your, you know, in the past that would be like, oh, forget that one. But it's also going to deter the customer base. It feels too imposing. It feels too intimidating. And, and you're right. You lose business. And if it becomes too slow, because everything is slowed down to a, a crawl so it can be observed, nobody wants to work with those types of organizations. They're too painful to, to kind of interact with. This is where the government has such a challenge because they have all these layers and it makes it incredibly difficult to kind of negotiate anything with them. But then there's another aspect here that's interesting. And this has more to do with it's both it's cyber and physical is compliance has gotten in the world in the, in the way too now. So what's really interesting is that in an attempt to get organizations to comply with having a level of security, that's good. They've federal regulations have imposed a set of compliance standards. The thing is, Matthew, most of the time, the, the penalty for not being in compliance is lower than the amount you pay for security. So they just pay the fine. They don't bother deploying all that and getting the hassle of buying all this crap that they don't know how to deploy or need a team to run. They'll be like, ah, it's a fine of $2 million when it would actually cost us three and a half or four to really buy everything that would put us in compliance. Just pay the fine. And so that's kind of where it is now. I I watched, I was watching a, some series the other day where they were, it was for pain management and there was a company Mm -hmm. and, and the company 
they were like, you know, you know what a speaker program is? It's yeah. Yeah. So they were running a speaker program where they, you know, they can't pay the doctors to prescribe medication, but if you prescribe for this much medication, we'll put you on our speaker program and you'll get it. You'll get whatever $4,500 and you come and give a speech at this little convention and you make this much, whatever. So Mm -hmm. they're paying them, you know, it's a, it's a workaround. So they were talking about the speaker program and then they were talking about going off brand, like saying, we're going to start pushing these, we're gonna start pushing these uh, doctors to prescribe this, not for cancer, which it was designed for cancer. And we've been pushing cancer. Now we're going to tell them they can also prescribe it for other types of pain. And they were like, listen, that's, that's going to come back on us. And they sat there in their actuaries in the boardroom doing the numbers. And he's like, okay, well, we're looking at a, a profit of a billion dollars and a fine at at maximum at the max the fines half a billion we just made a billion mm-hmm. half a billion yeah like that that's, that's right. the worst scenario is we make half a billion best case is if they catch us at all they they it's a 200 million dollar fine and we made yep. 800 million dollars like you know what i mean it, it just it, yeah. it was like wow like it's totally worth it to to do that and in so many cases it, it, it is, is. It really is. And then, you know, that kind of dovetails into another aspect around using the technology to your advantage um, in ways that is quite clever. So, so usually people think of hackers and they think they're stealing either information or intellectual property or money or crypto, right? One and the same. It's usually that's what people think. They think that there's a hooded kid or whatever somewhere in a basement. It's the usual visual that Hollywood's created, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. And while, while there's elements of, yeah, exactly. There's elements of that, you know, script kitties or skitties, we'll call them, you know, that do this kind of stuff. It's fine. You know, they're, they're, they're playing around and they're learning. Um, It's not fine, but you know what I mean? They're, they're not the threat, the threat, the real threats. And and this is extremely clever is market manipulation with hacking. And what I mean by that is they're going and they're hacking into large public organizations. We're talking about these very well-organized groups. And they'll deploy malware that is intended to get caught, Matthew. Like it's not meant to hide that long. It's meant to sort of stay like a little ticking time bomb until such time that it makes sense for it to sort of show itself. And then magically the press gets an anonymous tip that so-and-so public organizations hacked. You might want to go check on it, report on it. And what they've done in that timeline is they bought short positions in the stock yeah. price so that when it does get hacked, they make an incredible amount of money on the plummet and then they make money on the correction on the way back up. It's incredible. So, you know, it's funny you you saying that I specifically was talking to my buddy, um, Pete, because I the guy that I told you was like, oh, you got to check out this. You got to ask him this, mm-hmm. ask him about this. Uh, and I was thinking to myself, like, the wh- I wonder why they don't buy up the stock and sh- and and you know short sell it you know and create these these situations if they can't move the crypto or they, you know if they can't right. move the Bitcoin then why not go ahead and buy up as much of the of the uh, company and take you know short positions and I was actually we yeah. talked about that and he was like you should mention yeah. that so um, <laughs> yeah. yeah that's that's that is insane. It's funny. There, there was something else when you were talking, I was going to, I wanted to, um, 
mention. There was this, I want to say it was called like solar sail or something. It was uh, like they were solar winds, solar winds. And and it's what they're the, the big, the big, uh, um, solar uh, generators. Oh, different. Okay. No. So it it could be two different things then. So solar winds is an IT firm that got hacked. And in the way the hackers did it was they actually implanted a, a malicious code into one of the updates that this company sent out to their entire constituency of users, which is a really advanced way of getting yourself embedded, right? They didn't deploy their own malware as like a separate kind of thing. They actually baked in the compromise into an update that went out legitimately by the company. Is that what you're talking about? Solar winds? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I was thinking about two okay. different things. I know that in China, I know there was also an American company that was doing uh, the windmills, you know, the oh, solar or, or the, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and they actually, and th- this was an intellectual property theft from China where right. they had stolen a, a bunch of the, um, the software. But anyway, right. you were saying for uh, the, yeah, that, that one is just kind of the poster child for supply chain hacking, the best way to put it. Wasn't that a Russian company? Well, SolarWinds is an American company, but it was a, it was believed to a be Russian a Russian actor hack. behind the, the hack, right? And then they, they, so in one go, like the way they were able to sort of scoop up a ton, they got into about 30,000 different organizations all in one go. So... And they had mm-hmm. access to these. In, 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 yeah. And so yeah. what are they taking from those organizations? What is, is this, yeah. Is this yeah. just. So, well, it depends because I think this is where this, this is the weird murky area between where geopolitical motivations that drive these more sophisticated government run groups bleeds into the cyber criminals that are all financially motivated. And sometimes those governmental groups that have political motivations to destabilize or create influence campaigns we're getting into something much deeper and not quite per se true crime per your show but i think it's, right. it is a massive massive operation that uses things like criminal activity to their advantage it's almost like proxy militia right you know think of it that way when you have a hacker yeah. that's out there wreaking havoc by stealing millions of dollars in crypto or shorting stock i mean what an incredible misdirection utility for a nation state actor to, to leverage i mean Look, there's been no shortage in history. Back to you know our history lesson for the, the third one of, of, the, of this of this particular episode. But you, you know, Air America program where they were moving drugs in to the U.S. I mean, that's an operation facilitating criminal activities on the streets to facilitate an agenda for a slush fund. I mean, there's all these stories that are very, very much akin mm-hmm. to what, I'm, what we're talking about here. But anyway, we're getting into some big nuances, but. Yeah, Solar Winds was a really interesting one because it set the standard for how you could go and hack into one place and get into many. And yes, there is information uh, or intellectual property theft. There's PII, which is personally identifiable information like social security numbers, birthdays, names, everything that you would have had a blast with in your past life, getting a hold of it because it would have given you an, a treasure trove of an unlimited supply of identities that you could leverage. So. If you think about the force multiplication of technology, Matthew, they're doing nothing different than what you created, pioneered, came up with when you were doing what you were doing. It's just done at a scale and a speed and a cadence and a frequency that's been that's unprecedented. That's the difference. 
Um, yeah, I was going to say, uh, uh, when you were talking more about the, um, you know, the, the organizations that are backed by nations, it's like, it, it's like a, you know, it's like a cyber war, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like we're spying on them, they're spying on us, but in the end, I always wonder, like, let's say you've got North Korea or you've got China or you've got, you know, mm-hmm. Russia and, and the, you know, the justice department will come out with these. I see. And I, I, and I remember watching something. This was like, this was actually, I think when I was like in prison, it was like 10 years ago. And, mm-hmm. and they had indicted a bunch of people in like in North Korea or China, I forget which one. And they actually had tracked them back to the where they they knew where they worked they knew the name of the yeah. department they knew who was working in that department they said because we can watch them go all the way we know when they show up within 20 minutes there's a spike in activity like we know when mm-hmm. this guy works like there's a whole thing and they had indicted multiple uh nationals and but in the end like how do you prosecute those guys how do you yeah. you're never going to get your hands on them Every once right. in a while, now I know that I was locked up with a bunch of, of a bunch of, uh, you know, they weren't hackers, right? Cause I've really only been locked up with one or two guys that were ever charged with actually charged with like hacking. Mm-hmm. So, but I was charged with guys that were running, um, you know, uh, like dark web, um, forums, credit card forums. Yeah. I always say credit card forms, but they do other stuff. They sell counterfeit credit cards. They sell dumps of information. You know know what a dump is? They sell Mm -hmm. dumps. They sell um, fulls. They sell. And then sometimes they they have these tutorials on just how to run PayPal scams. Just a very different scams that they got 45 minute video on how to scam PayPal out of X amount of dollars or different scams you can run. So it's, I always say credit card, you know, forms, but they do other stuff. So. Sure. One is, is that I was locked up with a bunch of these guys and, you know, everybody would call them hackers, but they weren't hackers, but, you know, and, and, uh, several of these guys were, were Russian or you, or from Ukraine and they had got, got some of them and one or two of them were actually Russian and they only ended up getting this one guy because like Russia wouldn't hand him over. He just happened to decide to go on vacation just outside of Russia, like, like I don't know what he was thinking. Like, ah, I'm 150 miles away, you know, from the border or something. Like, I don't know what you're thinking. Like, yeah. he he went into Russia and they notified the FBI that he had entered. I forget what country was it. Oh, I'm going to say it was Moldova. I was like, I forget. Anyways, one of these little um, uh, countries, uh, probably one of these, you know, one of the baltic or uh the eastern european block countries that used to be and he happened to go there on on a vacation like a skiing vacation or something i forget what it was and sure yeah. enough he wasn't there more than like three days and the fbi flies in and they arrest him and they got throw him on a plane and you know yeah next thing you know he's landing in new york and he's screaming the whole time you're kidnapping me and uh anyway he and he ended up it's so funny too because he ended up getting i still want to say he barely got any time you know, like like some yeah. of these guys, they're giving out outrageous time, 15 years, 20 years. This guy got like, I don't know if it was five or six or seven years. For the amount of money he had stolen, it was not that much time. And, and I always noticed yeah. that a lot of these 
international criminals tend to get less time than the U.S. would give one of their own citizens. Uh, yeah, it's not always the case. There's always an exception. Uh, but yeah, That's, it's that, that, therein lies the 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 frailty of the system as it relates to international laws, especially with cyber, right? Because right, like how do you get a hold of all guys? Yeah. Exactly. And then like in the beginning of the show, we talked about how attribution is difficult, right? It's very hard to sort of fingerprint an individual sometimes. You know, you might know where they're where the machine might be or a general sense of where the IP address is coming out of, but it it's still a far, 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 far it's still a million miles from the individual behind it sometimes, right? Um, I was speaking to a colleague the other day that it was fascinating. He was hugely involved in the the Zeus botnet takedown. Zeus is a banking trojan. It's specifically there to harvest banking credentials. And and then they would run these whole teams to log in using those credentials and then move money. Literally, just you're in the you're in the person's account. You can send it wherever you want. You can add an account. You can do all kinds of stuff. And they would they would do all kinds of stuff like grab the two-factor authentication code from the cell phone by conning people into giving them the, the code where they would actually get the malware to do that and harvest the information from the phone. I mean, it was incredibly sophisticated stuff. But all that to tell you that it took exactly what you're talking about. It took them getting the individuals on video, going into the banks, doing the actual transaction where they could correlate the timestamp of the video with the individual that was facially recognized, or at least now they can do that kind of thing, with the transaction happening at the, at the, you know, the, the teller window. To then get the guy. But even with that, if the person did it at one bank and then zipped off somewhere else or had a hoodie on or, my gosh, think about COVID with the mask situation. It's like, how are you going to even forget it? It's over. <laughs> so you're well, right. It's, it's, um, it's even if you get an indictment, how do you get the guy? Like China's not handing over. Russia's not totally. handing over a national. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, the other thing about this is that Back to kind of get to the theme of this particular episode. I mean, you know, honestly, Matthew, most of these guys feel like it's the victimless crime. Like no one gets hurt. There's no violence, at least from the perspective of a lot of of these guys. It's completely passive. The money is going to get paid back somehow by some group. It's not victimless. Honestly, it isn't. But from the perspective of the threat actor, they're like, look, nobody got hurt. It was a painless way to get a lot of money. Like you said, if, if if a failure is forty million bucks, come on, yeah, it's hard. So you don't have hard. to. It's you don't not have hard to sell to me. You don't have to sell right. me on. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, you know. yeah. Um, oh yeah. Listen, like I, I, you know, one of the reasons, like my dollar amount isn't that high, is mm-hmm. because I was cautious. You know, right. I like like to me, if I was thinking, okay, so you're telling me. That right now, I nobody can nobody's gonna like as long as I don't leave Florida. You're telling me you will allow me to run a scam in Georgia, but you you will not extradite me to Georgia, and I just have to never fly, go to Georgia again. I'm good. I'm good. Like yeah. I'll go sit in the Starbucks. Right. You know, yeah. I, I you know you because my crime now just because of technology. Mm-hmm. Think about it. I used to have to make my own W2s and pay stubs. Now you can just go to, you know, paystubs.com. They'll make your yeah. W2s and pay stubs. They'll calculate everything so it's perfect per state, like the whole thing. I used to have to make my own bank statements. 
I used to have to make my own, you know, uh, I would design my own bank websites. I would make my own, uh, I had to figure out how to get the, the, um, the software to make my own appraisals. I had to go buy, I had to buy a house. Like Mm -hmm. now I could, and then you had to actually physically had to go get, I had to go get, go into the DMV, get them to issue me a driver's license in the name of someone who doesn't exist or, Mm -hmm. or maybe, maybe someone who does exist. Maybe it's a stolen identity. You know, I had to, so I then have to, I have to create this entire, this entire, you know, legend that isn't real to support my person to borrow money. And then I actually have to go into a close, physically go into downtown to public records. And then I also have to go to a closing. I have to go into banks and open yeah. bank accounts. Now you can sit in a Starbucks. I can make my pay subs through a website. You pay a few bucks. You make the pay, make pay stubs and W-2s. You can open your corporation online. You can open up the bank accounts online. You can you can rent an Airbnb. You can have it appraised. They never have to see me. I can schedule schedule a, a closing, and I can close on my loans and pro- property and loans all remotely, sitting in a sp- Starbucks. And then wire yeah. the money wherever you want to wire it. And the the interesting thing about that is everybody involved in that transaction now doesn't have to know what's going on. They don't have to know a scam's going on because they're just doing what they do on a regular basis. Yep. Tons That's of right. closings are done remotely. Tons of bank accounts are opened online. Tons of... Uh, you know, all of these things, appraisers show up, they never meet the owner. You rent Airbnbs, you never see the the tenant. You All of these things happen on a daily basis with no interaction. So if some guy sends you an email or you get a phone call or a text and they transfer the money, you get the money, then you're like, yeah, of course, sure, I'll mail you the key or I'll put it under the mat. Or So, you know, my, it, and if you said, hey, Matt, you could do that. It's just all that has to take place in Georgia. And if there is, if you're ever indicted, they, don't worry, we will not allow them to extradite you from Florida. Like I'm, Mm-mm. I don't have to leave Florida. I, right. So, yeah. I, you yeah. know, if I have to well, and, vacation and, and, in Florida the rest of my life, it's not going to kill me. And so well, that's what I'm saying, like this. North Koreans and stuff yeah. like. They, they, yeah, exactly. They, exactly. Yeah. Well, think about, think about like the, the, you know, some of the lesser fortunate you know, areas of the world that, that, you know, where there's the average poverty line is way lower than, than ours. And Nigeria, guys, some of them. Yeah. The Nigerian exactly. scam. Nigeria's a good yeah. example. Totally. The, you know, the Slovenians and, and, and that whole group of guys and gals that do it, right. they're crazy talented. For, I was going to say, reason, they're very sophisticated, very sophisticated. Yes. Right. And and that's a living for them. Like this is the thing that's really, and it's not advocating for it. Obviously, like on this show, I'm sure you have plenty of people that talk about it. Like this is the best thing; it's the sliced bread to do. It always comes back to the fact that that's a hard life looking over your shoulder. But for for people that live in a state of effectively fear and and probably risk of what could happen to them in their home countries, that would be probably worse than any prison here in the U.S. Yeah, they don't care. They have no, there's no compunction to do what they're doing because it's just way more motivating to see the kind of money they can make. Like you said, sitting in some internet cafe, they may not have a Starbucks, but they certainly have something that's equivalent to that. that has anonymity all over the place for them. 
They understand how to use technology better than the average person does here. And now with the advent of these tools to speak very fluently, like whether it's even text-based, like an email or an SMS message, or now unbelievably audio with AI, well, you can sound like me and I can sound like you today. You know, I could be an avatar that you're talking to right now. I'm not even real. I just, I joined, I, I subscribed. I think you subscribe for like a month for like a dollar and, and mm-hmm. for this, this, uh, this website. And I dumped a 10 minute video of me. And then I, I, uh, dumped an article from wired that I downloaded called the art of the steel just to see if it, yeah. what it would sound like. Yeah. It had me, re- I just read the, it, it literally, it's, a, it's like 40, I'm going to say it was 40 minutes of me reading a wired article. Yeah. And, and it, it's listen, everybody that I sent it to, um, even my, uh, um, my wife was here in the walking through the kitchen when I was playing with it. And I said, I said, how does that sound? She goes, what do you mean? I went, how does that, you know, how's that sound? That's uh, I just generated that. She's you didn't just read that. I was like, <laughs> no, she's, that's the, and I was like, yeah, and I played it. She was like, yeah. that yeah. is insane if you listen to it it's perfect yeah. it pronounced one or two words incorrectly and you can you, sure. there's a feature you can click on to to have it say it a couple of times you're like oh that's the one i want that's the correct pronunciation yeah. it was yeah. it's amazing so um i had a guy on i was talking to the other day and we were talking about um fa- uh, facebook do you re- remember this scam which is still i'm sure i'm sure probably used mm-hmm. someone builds a fake a fake uh Facebook page, just, you know, they use your picture, the whole thing, you know, they take a bunch of your friends, they, they subscribe, you know, they, um, they follow whatever. So, uh, you know, a cursory look at it looks like, oh, it's you. And then they contact you through messenger. You know, they would text you through messenger before and say, oh my gosh, um, you know, Kareem, I, I, I'm in, I'm in Budapest right now, or and th- this actually happened to my mother several times. They would say, I'm in Budapest right now. Um, you know, my wallet was stolen. I, I'm, I have no money. Can you please Western union me a thousand dollars? I'll be back uh, in Florida next week. I'll pay mm-hmm. you back. I am so sorry. I've lost my passport. I'm just in a desperate situation. Yeah. My mom was almost going to pay. Like she was like, yeah. oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Carol is in boot. Oh, I can't believe this. I, I I had no idea she was even going. Like she's ready to try and yeah. she's trying to she's trying to figure out how to Western Union money to Budapest. And if she hadn't mm-hmm. asked my sister, she that woman would have got the money. Now, what would have happened if Carol actually called her? There would if well, there was if there was any question before. Yeah. If my buddy Zach called me on the phone right now and said, bro, I'm, man, I'm, I'm in a bad spot, bro. Can you cash at me 500 bucks, man? Here's what happened. This happened, this happened. I'm getting two yeah. tires replaced. I lost this. I'll give you the money right back. I'd be like, yeah, absolutely, bro. Sure. Yep. If, if, he, if get, it was his get, voice. Get this. There's a story. And maybe for your show notes, I'll have to find the link to it. I'll make sure I send it to you. There's a story about a mother sitting down in her living room watching TV and she gets a phone call and it's her daughter frantically crying saying, mom, mom, they, they took me, they got me, please help. And then she goes off in the distance, fades off, like kind of in the background whimpering and a voice gets on the phone saying, if you don't pay, 
X amount of money to this account, you're, you'll never see your daughter again. Think about the sense of urgency they created right then, right? That's right. a big part of the process, right? You got to get that urgency built up. And then they created a motivation and then they basically told her exactly what to do. They even said, look, you're going to do it in Bitcoin. I think that's, I'm maybe adding a little bit to the story with the, with the method of payment, but I know for a fact it was get it done, get it done now, or you're never going to see your daughter again. The lady literally was on the verge of paying. Of course they did the usual. Don't call law enforcement. Don't call the cops. The worst thing you could possibly do, all the usual. Had the daughter not walked down the stairs going, hey, mom, what are you up to? And she looked up and she's like, I just got a phone call. from you." She's like, what are you talking about? I've been in my bedroom the whole time. They grabbed sound clips from her off her whatever social media accounts and compiled enough of the voice nuances and cadence, everything you just said, to create a perfect script that people fell for. So yeah, that's that's happened. Like that literally happened like two, three months ago, and it was kind of hit the news pretty heavily. And then it's now gone a little bit quiet on that kind of thing. But because the next evolution of its video, right? You're going to have yeah. the audio and the video, right? It's going to be a perfect match. It's going to be a perfect Kareem, and there's not going to be much ability to discern it. The authenticity's at stake now, where you don't even know what's real anymore. And it's a new bastion, man. It's a whole new era for, for <laughs> criminals. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, um, I remember reading an article about a Russian that spoke good English. Mm-hmm. And there were a Russian, um, there's a Russian like hacking group or whatever, where they were calling up, they would call up and get like increases on people's credit cards, or they would borrow yeah. money in their names. And then the the company would say, well, can you call us? And so mm-hmm. they paid him to call the company. Because he sound he had a good enough American accent that he could get on the phone and explain, yes, I'm so and so. And they would give him the information. My social security number is this, my date of birth is here's my address. And they would ask him a few questions. And he said, sometimes, you know, they would ask questions that I didn't know. And I'd say, I'm sorry, like I can't recall. Or he'd give him a, the wrong answer and be like, uh, well, I had several roommates in college. I mean, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I lived in a dorm. And they go, okay, well, let me give you another one. And, you know, they would pull what like a LexisNexis report and start asking questions. And eventually he'd be able to get a few of them right. And then, boom, they just gave him $100,000, whatever, home equity yeah. line of credit on his on his house. And they immediately transferred the money. And, you know, so you don't even need that guy, now, especially with the North Koreans and, you know, that sort of thing. Like now they can if they can get into an organization Yes, and they can make a phone call from the whatever the CEO or president or whoever in that person's voice. You know, once once they get the lay of the land and know enough about the company, you know, yeah, Bob can call Jennifer and HR and or you know in bookkeeping or whatever. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Like how? Well, and, and you know, mining the internet now is all been done forever and you know there's there's practically nothing you can't get publicly open source wise these days you know like the good old days of having to use hoovers or nexus nexus they're kind of gone everything's generally open sourced at this point through social media and all that and now you know this idea that they're trying to train these machine learning models on data that's been curated it's all sliced, diced, organized. I had an interview not long ago about, um, it's a little off track, but it's interesting because it does have to do with reconnaissance, right? Or casing an environment, if you want to call it that. Um, 
now, I mean, the major players are looking at your house through Google Maps and Google Earth and right. check what kind of car you have. They're looking at what neighborhood you ha- you're in. They, they see what route you take to your job based on your cell phone connectivity to towers. And they see where you stop to have your coffee because they can profile you for knowing exactly how much money you're worth probably paying based on whatever scam might be appropriate. So like yeah. they, they, all that's kind of pre-digested and ready to rock for a lot of these threat actors. And it's just, it's at a scale that's, it's unprecedented. And there's really not much defense against that. This is the thing that's interesting. You're relying on people's wherewithal and spidey sense to kick in, if you will, which, I mean, I hate to say it, but the vast majority of people, when it comes to these technical type scams, Look, Matt, I would fall for a lot of this AI generated voice stuff and, and video stuff. If it wasn't absurd, like the funny ones that we see are are pretty silly, right? They're, they're, they're people saying the most off the wall things. But if they say something slightly off from what they would normally say, I'd totally buy it. Like what your wife did with your with your your uh, your Art of the Steel reading that you didn't do, but your avatar read or whatever you want to call it. Right. right. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that. It just, it all, you know, and it, it I'm not going to say it depends. Like if somebody called up and said, oh, you know, we've got your, your wife and we need, you know, whatever, you know, $30,000. I'd be like, <laughs> 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 like would you guys miscalculate? <laughs> um, you know, but somebody else may say, of course, you know, uh, you know, it has to be reasonable. Um, yeah. So uh but yeah i i i definitely i hear you and uh yeah with the i was gonna say you can gosh you know you can and you can track people so many different ways like there's so many different yeah. things you can do um what i i was wondering about is you you wrote a book about like um uh about um cryptocurrency right uh no i was probably quoted in a few of those but i didn't write a book on it specifically but which one are you referring to the Is the rise of the central bank digital oh, currencies yeah so sorry that is that is my that is my substack stuff so yeah sorry i was thinking of a physical book that that was printed that was never printed that was a an article i wrote about um yeah oh, okay like, EDCs is what you're referring to. Like I crypto. thought it was like an e. I thought it was like an ebook, but okay, no, just a. It's a publication, but yeah, it's on like Substack. Nah. Okay, but yeah, close enough. Um, yeah, I did. I, I I definitely found it to be a very interesting utility. We'll call it that. I don't know where you want to go with it because there's a lot we can well, talk about with so, CBDC. Well, yeah. here's what I okay. Here's what I was thinking because I I know that there's like the um what is it Fed coin is that what. The yeah. so and, and I was thinking if they moved if the if the government moved I mean obviously there's all the conspiracy theories you know they can just say hey you know you know hey guess what you can you buy you you've been buying too much gas lately you yeah. can't do that anymore you can't you can only spend this much on this or oh you've been bad so you can only spend so much on food or whatever it may be you if you don't get the next vaccine we're not going to allow you to buy groceries anymore you know whatever there's all these that. Right. The worst case scenarios. Well, what I was thinking is like, what does that do? Be, be, and, and I only think I'm only wondering this is because of the the North Korean um, scam where they were tracking all the money and they got such a substantial amount back. Like for illicit 
types of organizations, drugs, uh, for instance, uh, even fraud, you know, you could track everything from here on out. So even if it was a year and a half later and they said, hey, we just found out this loan was a fraud and it was whatever it was, you know, identity theft or, hey, this was a transaction that was made. And guess what? That was five kilos of cocaine. Like you can now track all that back. So does that do you feel like that eliminates certain types of crimes? And, and how does how do criminals get around that? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, it will 100%, in my opinion, create an obsolescence with existing methods, right? That, that you just can't do anymore because the internet never forgets. And you're 100% right. They can always go and watch the tape to use a sports right. analogy. And, and do it, like you said, however many years later, because they simply have the computing power to go dig through it and, and figure out what maybe happened and then go indict someone. So you're right. That, that will absolutely change the game for criminals to, to have to figure out how to over, overcome that. However, the, the parallel to this is that cyber criminals are probably embracing that type of tech faster than the good guys are in some cases. They're actually in, in classic fashion, they're finding the utility of things like the AI stuff we're talking about, where they're truly anonymized. And they 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 for example, when you had to create, or we talked about Frank Abagnale when we had our first conversation, when you had to create a fake check where you put the little logo on there, now you can have essentially a really well-tuned AI art program created for you better than you could ever do it. You just need to have the printing facility. Right. Frankly, most things aren't even physical anymore anyway. You know, your boarding passes certainly are not to get on an airplane. Why would you bother? You just need to make sure you have the record there and then you have the record here and you're good to go. Um, so I think I think that we'll see, and to not sound hyperbolic with the statement, but I think we're going to see a new breed of, of, of sort of criminal slash hacker come about that don't need too much technical capability because it's all built to be run and operated. So you don't even need to be really good at building it anymore just to operate it. And I think that's what we're going to see a shift towards. Um, but the surveillance state, just to kind of finish off the, on your question, I don't think that'll slow down. I think you're 100% right. I mean, there's going to be a whole push using, we'll call it fear tactics to say it's in, it's in everyone's best interest for us to watch everything. And people will capitulate to that because people will say, Ah, uh, what's a little privacy? Giving up a little privacy for for security because that's the trade off. I think most people will probably give into that. It'll be the it'll be the criminals will probably be a little less willing to to share. Uh, right. As, I was going to say they'll come up with some kind of thing, and they'll come up with some kind of barter system, or they'll yeah. trade in something else. They'll you know they're going to figure be, out. There'll be, be a shadow economy just like anything else, you know, it's kind of what I think that everyone thought or was worried that crypto would sort of become, hence the regulation push. Um, But see, this is what's so ironic about it all. Uh, Cryptocurrency, just broadly speaking, not one or the other, not not specific with Bitcoin or any of the others, the whole power of it and the value of it is it's decentralized, right? It's not meant to be controlled by one operator. That's kind of the whole point. So the minute you start to do that, like this Fed one, Fed next or whatever they're calling this TBDC, it's really just a recreation of the federal ex- bank, but done in electronic fashion where the money's programmable to be different from that than it is for me. 
That's all it is. But it's no more, it's no, it's not distributed. It's not a decentralized system. It's still centralized. So it kind of defeats the purpose of something that's kind of hard to hack. So it'll become a huge target, in my opinion. If they centralize it, well, now you can point your cannons at it. That's where the bad act, that's where the threat, well, put it this way, that's where hacktivists will probably target. Right. Because now it's becoming a lot harder, a lot easier to hack than something that's, you're going back to castle moat strategy versus decentralized, which the very nature of decentralization makes it very difficult to hack. When you centralize it, it's a, it's a, it's a target. Yeah. I mean, you can, as much as, as much of a, like you just said, like as much of a mode as you can put around it, it's like, okay, that's great. And you centralize it. But the truth is, is all you got to do is get through once, you know, that's, right. and that's the thing I always said about law enforcement was I was like, listen, I, I, like, I can't make a mistake. Like mis- the yeah. law enforcement only has to be right. They can make a thousand mistakes. They only got to be right once they get their hands on me. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's frightening. Of course, you know, I, I also, my wife is, I was told in the comment section that I shouldn't say she's a conspiracy nut. Um, she's, she, you know, she's very, listen, she'll get something in her head. And for like a week, at least a week, I have to hear about it and watch t- shows on it. And one of them was about the grid going down. Yeah. And I mean, and, and it, it's, it's so bad that like I, I was in New York and I took a picture of the skyline and I sent it to her and it, it wasn't, it's beautiful. Wow. That's amazing. It was God, I wouldn't want to be there if the grid goes down. And I, <laughs> I was like, that's what, that's what your, where your mind went. But, yeah. um, oh, listen though, we've got, I got dried beans. I got top ramen soup. Yeah. We got a lot of water. We've got, we have a three yeah oh yeah yeah she's definitely she definitely she she wants an acre way away from everybody because all we have to do is survive three months until everybody kills each other off and 80 percent of them will be gone then we only have to deal with the 20 percent, and yeah. that'll be that's we can we can survive that and i'm just like what are you doing <laughs> you're a crazy person right i don't know who you are but um so yeah i watched the grid going down and about how I, I guess it's China was trying to hack the grid mm-hmm. and China and Russia to try and kind of, I don't know what they were trying to get into, but their big concern is how vulnerable the electrical grid is in the United States. Um, yeah. I mean, this is, this is a big one. This is that's a, this decent, is- semi-decentralized. Semi, you're right. There's a there's a daisy chain cascading re- like effect oh, or domino right, effect. Right, is the problem. They were um, like, if you take out, you only have to take out so much, and then the whole thing with that. They were talking about Texas like a year or so, like a year ago. Right, right. exactly. Well, here's the thing, and, and this is one that we could probably do an entirely separate show on for like two hours on it. Because here's the reason why. There's so many layers to this. The first layer is that. Your wife's not crazy about the fact that the power grid is indeed pretty vulnerable by the sheer nature of how it what it is. And and what I mean by that is it's old. Right. So it's running off incredibly old and obsolete software, basically. And the problem is most things can't be retrofitted with new software because again, it's this whole daisy chain effect. If you can't fix one piece and not the other, if you fix this piece, the other parts don't work with it. It's just this mess. A lot of the companies that built this stuff, the software part of it, are out of business now. They're gone. And it's like 
you you ever go to the airport and you see them printing out the manifest for the plane? They have the dot matrix printer. Yeah. With the That's because the software is written to work only with those printers. They can't go plug in a nice laser printer to it anymore. It just doesn't work. So it's, I, it's, it, it's, it, yeah. it's funny. I flew um, like Delta one time and it was the worst ticket. It was this yeah. old thick ticket that was a dot matrix. And this was only like a couple of years ago. It was hard to read the whole thing. And I was like, I don't understand. I'm flying like, like a value jet. And yeah. I got a nice, clean, easy to read ticket. And this, look at this thing. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't even think about that. I just was like, well, why don't, why won't they, why don't they upgrade? I was like, what's, but yeah, I didn't realize that what you're, they've yeah. been around and forever. They're still using this, their whole system's based on this. This yep. technology that doesn't that is difficult to upgrade. That's the first problem. The second problem is the is the actual physical hardware. Um, the big transformers that our country effect effectively like lives off of these things. If if they go down, we don't have spares, which sucks. Right. And guess where guess where the spares would get made? No, in China. China. No. Sorry. <laughs> And and you know how long it would take for them to do it if they even wanted to do it for us? Like a year or two to get some of these things made. Yeah, I was saying that like the, the turnaround time is is outrageous. And, yeah. and then you're not you're not ordering one or two of them at that point. You'd have to order, you're trying That's to get right. them to make hundreds, thousands of them. And and nothing's nothing's worse for getting uh a backup uh you know transformer than bad geopolitical relations with the country that makes it for you. So, right. so there's some really scary propositions there. And then lastly, um, you know, they, there's a, a daisy chain. So, so for example, why bother with the grid if you can go after water treatment? Because if you can go after water treatment, which might be an easier target because it's not as high profile as the power grid is, now you make water impact. I'm not trying to make this a doom and gloom session here, but it is right. valuable to know. All of a sudden, the water's not drinkable, Matt, and, and you're drinking water that gives that creates mass dysentery in a town that overruns the hospitals. Now, all you have to do is pressurize a power grid. You don't have to hack it. You just pressurize it that much more when it's overburdened. So, and, you know, just like the beginning of our conversation, we talked about attacking on a on, on moonless night or waiting till there's a national holiday. Wait for a harsh winter. I mean, this is these are old strategy and tactics that aren't forgotten, right? Art of war is alive and well in terms of military strategies for this. So yeah, there's just there's a frailty here that's hard to fix. And you know, everyone kind of asks me that, but like, why don't they just fix it all? It's like, well, there's this huge litany of things that are all interrelated and interlaced that make it almost impossible to fix in any meaningful amount of time for nothing less than billions of dollars of expenditure. So Sadly, but, we're kind of in a bad place. Yeah, it, the government's also very, you know, reactive. Yeah, very much so. You yeah. know, there's got to be an event of some kind. Yeah, the only proactive thing that they do really is like the military. You know, we right. may need this type of a jet in the future. We have to stay ahead of the curve, and so yeah. they're always pushing to be ahead. But in so, in almost every other way, it's crisis legislation you know even though you know this is an issue i know but it's manageable right now and i'm not going to get reelected if i start pushing for an agenda that nobody else thinks is an issue less weight for there to be a crisis 
the minute the politics play a part in this, it's all over pretty much because it's not going to really address the urgency of something. Um, but, you know, and then, okay, I talked about wa water, but there's even one probably even more concerning than even like water and energy and it's communications. If you simply take down communications, everything else is now like you separate the deer from the herd and it's fair game. I mean, this is what's scary about this idea of, a coordinated cyber warfare attack. Now, the reason it doesn't happen, I think, <laughs> believe me, I don't know 100%. These are just speculations after 30 years of doing this or so, is because that would constitute an act of war. And this has been the weird line that's been drawn in the sand that no one quite knows where it is, is that what hack by either a nation state group or a cyber criminal group constitutes an act of war? There's no clear, there's no clear like, rules of engagement with that you know what i right. mean but that one would probably well step over the line because it'd be the equivalency of someone firing a missile into our power grids in the u.s it's the same equivalency so i think that's probably where they're sort of stepping back and saying ah, let's not push the limits that's kind of an act of war let's let's play it cool let's do recon let's go sniff around let's loiter let's figure out where the the, the flaws are but then Let's not push the limits too much to where we actually incite an entire in international incident that could could be a, move straight to a kinetic attack or war, right? Right. So, yeah, that's that's probably why it hasn't happened, to be honest. All right. All right. Well, let's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'll. I don't, I don't think any of that helped. Uh, is going to help my. No, my no, your wife, wife my wife's issues. Eat into that, and you'll have two, three weeks worth of. To Listen, show I have. I have a water, I have a, like a, I had to buy this $150 water filtration thing. It's got a pump and it's a whole thing. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I keep telling her, you should try it out. You should, we've got a pond. There's a pond over there. I'm telling you, go, dr go drink, go, go, go take care of it. Yeah. And yeah. so it, I bought her a, you know, almost as a, as I don't want to say as a joke because it's, it's not because it's not a joke, but Almost just to be, you know, haha. I bought her this thick survival yeah. guide. Right. Love it. About halfway. She's about halfway through it. Pretty cool, she's, man. She's totally into it. She's totally, she's watching this guy, Canadian prepper. This yeah. guy, I don't know if you know who that is. This guy, every day that the, the is where we've been on the brink for, because I have a buddy who watches him. And I, so I heard about him about two, two, three years ago. So for two or three years that periodically I'll catch a, a, a five minute clip here or a minute clip here. It's always going under for, for two yeah. or three years now he is on the, we are on the verge. It's over. Yeah. You know, it, it's yeah. this guy, his whole, his whole thing is doom and gloom. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm on the other side. I think it's going to be fine. They know, well, what they're, you know, they know what they're you're, doing. It's fine. You're also, you're also a survivalist you know, I think instinctively. So, so, you know, there's, there's preppers and then the survivalists and sometimes there's an overlap, but the reality is this, that like, look, let, this is an interesting thing to think about because if we went into a lawless like environment for a while, that's interesting, right? I don't mean in a good way. I mean, it's fascinating because guys like you and I and other folks that you've interviewed were, were probably more equipped to think about the ramifications of what that means than most. Most yeah. are just going well, you know, because look, the, the U.S., unless you've been in inner cities or big cities with some of the crazy stuff that's happened over the years, 
you know, I live in suburbia and when I'm in the US and and I don't see riots and looting and all that. I don't, I've never seen it live in, right. you know, but, but if it, if it ever did happen where there was a true blackout, think about like the opportunistic opportunity, think about the panic and then the groups that felt like they're underserved and the opportunity that it presents itself, it would be pretty crazy. So right. I think the truth of the matter is that there are some really interesting concerns around these, these topics when it comes to where the psychology of the world goes to when things like that happen. Because I mean, look, think about, you know, I don't, we haven't talked too much about where you, how you went from where you were as a child to where you got to, where you went to prison and now where you are today, but there had to have been a psychological shift somewhere. You weren't just born ready to go do the stuff you did. You got there due to something that compelled you to go there. And I think certain activities like this, especially with the hackers, by the way, coming back to that really quickly, those criminals feel like gods. Oh, I'm sure. Because of, right. And th- that's where they get cocky. That's where they make mistakes. Right. So there's some of that, but it's an interesting thing because crises like we're talking about will accelerate that behavior in, in, in by the droves of people. And I think that's where we're, that's really scary, right? Cause you know, the damage you could have caused individually. Imagine hundreds of you running around scamming people. Like I'm not talking about like firebombs and loitering and breaking windows. I'm talking about now there's some desperation in the world and there's some like depressive qualities because the economy's hit due to certain things that's going to engender and foster more of that behavior. It just, it just will. Desperation will cause necessity will create that. And then mother of invention is a necessity. Yeah. And then, and then you add success to that equation, Matt, and what happens then you get people blood drunk on the success of it and they're ready to take the chances. Yeah. I was, I was going to say when I, I wrote my, I probably rewrote my book like three times. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I had, I finally did was I ordered, well, I did, I ordered a few books and, but really it's probably the best book I read was somebody actually just gave me this little book. I'll bet you it wasn't a hundred pages and it was written yeah. by a woman who had written three memoirs. And wow. I read that memoir and it, or that book. And it was just great. Like, it was like, she was so just, you know, she didn't sugarcoat anything. And she yeah. explained all of these things that I thought was that really I was like, wow. And she was like, look, even if you don't think there are certain things in your, you know, in your childhood that helped shape the person that you are, find those things, you know, look for them, you know, cause they're there. You may not, they might, may not be, um, they may not be, uh, you know, obvious to you but if you look for them they are there and so and you need to find them and you need to include them in your book because the reader is going to want to point to certain situations in your past that helped you know shape the person that you are and and you know even though some of the other books i had read had said similar types of things they had never been that clear and crisp and this woman, I mean, talk about brevity, like, like what a short book, but just every word was important. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, so I, when I, so I read that and when, after I read that, I rewrote my book and the difference between people reading my book af- prior to that rewrite and after that rewrite was night and day. I mean, I had guys coming up to me 
with, I, I had guys telling me how amazing the book was with tears in their eyes, just yeah. like, bro, like what that, you know, that thing about your dad, like, and they're just in tears, their eyes welled up. And I was just like, wow, this is yeah. amazing. Like, so, you know, definitely, you know, the, the whole being able to point to things that help shape you, that was, that was, uh, that was huge. And, no, and the I, other thing is, I'm sorry, I was going to say the other thing you mentioned too, which was crucial is that you're right. It's, it, she also explained to, you know, like how you felt, why you felt that way, why you felt, how you felt afterward, what were the things that led up, you know, to making that decision or this decision. And one of the things you said was, and I always say this is that it, like every time I got away with something, I became more and more emboldened by it. Yeah. And, and, um, and when you said the God thing, like I used to always, I, and I've said this on numerous podcasts where I said, there is no better feeling in the world than walking into a bank, handing them a fake ID, a, a, a bunch of fake, fake W2s, fake pay stubs, fake bank statements, you know, a fake, uh, a fake ID, closing on a loan and having them hand you a check for $250,000 and thank you for ripping them off. I mean, you, you feel like James Bond, you walk out of there feeling like I have, yeah. everything's under control. I can yeah. handle everything. I'll never get caught. I'm just that good. And you walk out and you feel it, it's a feeling that's just, it's better than any drug. It's amazing. You know, no, it's so interesting. You're saying that because the closest thing I've, so, you know, it's really interesting. So the gentleman that introduced you and I, uh, arsenic soon that show will be out whether it's before this one or after this right. one comes out nonetheless it's really cool when guys like him yourself and me coming from worlds completely different paths are able to have this intersection and have a meaningful conversation about that kind of strategy and that rush because that's the key thing that drives us all in a similar way whether we're the black out of the white hat in the equation or formerly black, now white, or maybe black, now gray, working for the government. <laughs> right. You name it. Um, it's interesting because there's the same motivation. I, I spoke to a couple of special operations guys that are not in a good place. They're suffering from PTSD from being out in Afghanistan and Iraq and all that. But what's so interesting with the, you know, people see that as a very binary thing. They're like, oh, these poor guys, they're suffering from PTSD. It's such a shame. You know what str they struggle with the most? A lot of the guys, not everyone, I'm, I'm not trying to sugarcoat this, but a lot of the guys miss it. Oh, they yeah. Miss the rush. They, they, the adrenaline from that is so high. In like my career path has been really fascinating. I get to chase extremely sophisticated threat actors everywhere and I get paid for that. It's pretty cool. You know, it's, yeah, yeah I was going to say, it's, it's, it's like being in a, you're an, you're an investigator. And, and how cool is it for you to, yeah. I can imagine you get on a conference call, you call up, you're talking to all these IT guys that are panicking. And yeah. if you're the guy that walks in and you say, okay, well, hold on. I just looked at it. Here's what's happening. Here's this. Here's that. You need to do this. And, and you just boom, 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 boom. And everybody goes, wow, I never thought, oh my gosh. So what if I do that? And, and you just bam, bam, bam. And you're the guy that's got all the answers. When there's five other guys that are experts that have panicked or are just in complete panic mode and you walk right. in and boom, 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 boom. Here's what happens. Here's how we fix it. Here's this, here's this, fix this, yep. call me back in an hour. You, yeah. You must, you get off that phone call. You must feel like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's God, the I'm good. God, that's I'm good. The, 
No doubt. That's the ego explosion. But then there's an interesting thing, the parallel to your story about being at the teller and getting that check for 250,000. That's when I've been pouring over some sort of data or findings or, or telemetry or something. And I'm looking for this proverbial, not even a needle in a haystack because I can't even use a magnet. I'm looking for a toothpick in a haystack. Right. right. And I find it. And I'm like, that's where he slipped up. It's, it's kind of like the movies we've seen where he gets this one little thing, this one little break, this one thread that unravels the whole sweater. That's the exhilaration from my side of the house. And it's probably very much shared with law enforcement groups that are really dedicated to their craft is that when you finally get this one thing where he's like, he finally, or she finally made a mistake that God complex got the better of them. And now they just did that one thing they shouldn't have done. They took the chance to not bother setting up the VPN, right. Or they didn't bother with a proxy or they didn't, you know, something where they didn't cover their tracks or obfuscate themselves. There's that same. I was just yeah. like, it's the, it's, it's the parking ticket with, uh, you know, Berkowitz, you know, the son of Sam, the parking yeah. ticket, like he, yeah. there's, there's 500 police officers who have scoured every single lead for the last six months. And some guy said, let's check the parking tickets. Like what yeah. if this guy Somebody got a parking ticket the night of the murder that shouldn't have been there, that maybe lived somewhere else. Maybe he got a parking ticket. I mean, how remote is that possibility? And sure enough, Berkowitz got a parking ticket. He doesn't live in this borough. Why is he right. in this borough? Yep. They they check, they call, they call the precinct. They, oh, I know that guy. He's a nut. They yeah. make a few phone calls. They watch him for a day or two. That's it. It's obvious it's him. Look, look at all yeah. the, you know, he's been writing letters. Look, he lives on this street. He mentioned this, the name, that name of this street here, this, like he just names them off. And it's like, holy shit. Like yeah. what a random, how did that guy feel? How did that detective feel? Yeah, exactly. No, you're right. And, and you know, it's funny. It's either laziness or ego that is usually the, the catalyst for the failure when it comes to a criminal doing something. It's rarely bad um, process. I mean, you know, there's always the ones that get caught, like all the funny videos of criminals that do the stupidest heist ever. Th those are obvious, but I'm talking about the ones that have really spent the time to figure out how to do it. It's unfortunately, fortunately, depending on how you look at it, it's that one little slip up. What You know what I'd be curious about? Um, you know, when it comes to like, I get people ask me this question a lot. They're like, so do you hire hackers, you know, that were bad and reform them and this and that? And it's like, yes and no. Um, many times I'll catch something in the process of being set up by maybe someone that's young and aspiring. And, and I'll, it's not quite there yet, but it's like, that's some good work. Right. But they're really, you know, they would do really well working on the good guy side, right? Like coming in and, and by the way, when I say the good guy side, you know, we talked about this several times in this chat, good guy. The perk is you don't sleep looking over your shoulder, waiting for the feds to kick the door in. That's worth a lot of money, dude. Like that's worth, that's worth your life. Not, not only that, I don't think these guys realize how much money there is in cybersecurity. Huge amounts. I mean, Huge. it's ridiculous. The, yeah. I, I, I told, remember I told you there was like one guy I knew had, who had, um, uh, was actually in prison for, uh, for hacking. 
And talk about the, the, when I remember we said, talk about somebody who has a touch of Asperger syndrome, this guy, it was very difficult for him to even make eye contact. He, um, uh, nicest guy. So we started talking and he was 19 when he got indicted. He ended up getting six years. He did five years. Um, and, and he, he had been on heroin. He was stealing information. The crime that he ended up selling, the, the dumps, uh, I forget how many, whatever it was, 100,000 or 30,000 uh, credit card profiles that he had sold, he made 500 bucks on. He had to do five years for that. Uh, had been a lot, a lot, had been arrested several times. So he had a, a, a criminal record, but it was all for drug uh, possession. Sure. So, you know, on the federal sentencing guidelines, you know, he was like a level four or five, but they were all like possession or... Um, or maybe sales, but minor sales. Like these are, these dudes were all probation. He'd never been to prison. So he ends up getting a chunk of time and had never had a driver's license. So I remember he was about, we were, he was going to be out in five months, four, about four, less, probably less than six months. And he used to come and talk to me all the time because he said I was interesting to talk to, you know, the bar's low in, in prison. So it's not, it's not me. Um, and, but I was always working on the, on writing guys' stories. I wrote a bunch of true crime stories, just guys, eventually you hear so many true crime stories. Every once in a while I'd hear one, I'd be like, man, bro, I need to write. I'm going to, do you mind if I, would you let me write a story about you? You know, and it'd be nothing, it'd be 10,000 words or something. And I'd order their, Gave me something to do. I'd order the Freedom of Information Act on the guy. I'd order his transcripts. I'd all these things through the mail, by the way. So wow. I'd order all these. So it gave me time. You know, my name gets called at mail call. I write letters. I get. Uh, so, you know, it was it, really I did that the last. Seven years, maybe uh, mm-hmm. that I I was um, was there. So I remember this guy, no father, you know, Um. And we were talking and I was like, well, what are you going to do when you get out? He's like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, okay, well, uh, you're going to need, you know, and, and I, you started at the bottom. You're going to need ID. I know when I get to the halfway house, I'll take care of that. What do you mean get to halfway house? You can yeah. do it now. They had something called, they called it the, the flow bus. I'm like, I'm getting my drive. I'm walking out here with a driver's license. Yeah. Well, I figure I'll do it in the halfway house. I'm like, why would you do that? You have all yeah. the time in the world right now. Yeah. So we do that. So we help him get his driver's license. And then he was like, I was like, what are you gonna do for a living? He's like, Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm a felon now, so I don't think I can really do anything. And I was like, what do you like doing? He's like, well, I mean, I like computers. I like programming. I like hacking. I like this. I go, well, aren't there those guys, aren't they called like penetration specialists or something? He's like, Oh, I know. But he's like, I'm a, I'm was locked up. I'm a felon. Uh, and, and he said, I can't do that. I'm like, Oh, I said, listen, bro. I said, you're making the common mistake that most of these guys make. Like every con man that was in there was actively trying to figure out how to cover up his scams. How do I cover up the news reports? How do I cover up my name? Can I change my name? Can I get reputation.com to bury my information? Uh, Can I, like to me, you're working on your next felony. You're working on your next indictment by doing that. And I was like, I was the only one in there who was saying, actively saying, oh, I'm telling everybody what I did. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure. And I was going to say, so for him, I told him, I said, you need to look at this as your calling card. Yeah. Bro, I've I've been locked up at that point, 12 years or something. I was like, I've never met any hackers. 
You know, right. you, yeah. you can turn this into something, you know, we can get you a Wikipedia page. We can start naming all the things you can do. We can write your story. We can rewrite your story. We can. And I said, you need to figure out how to get licensing. Cause I think most of these guys get like certificates. And I said, he's like, yeah, but I'm a felon. I go, yeah, but these aren't, the government doesn't give you, the government isn't the person who's giving you the license. So I said, these are just certificates by individual companies. So they're not going to care that you're a felon. I, and I said, so, so I said, you need to order that stuff now. So he actually ordered several books. He ordered, and within a few months, he was like, listen, there's like, I forget what he had said. It was like, there's five major, major things, certificates you need. This one, this one, this one. By the time I got out of, and he was like, no, no company's going to hire me. I said, no, no, most of these hacking companies and these penetration specialists and cybersecurity companies, most of them hire um, companies that do are subcontractors. That company will probably hire you. This company will get certified to work for this company. This company gets the contracts. They don't even know that you work for them. And so, right. and so we were talking and, um, by the time I got out and we spoke, I, by this point, I'd gotten out of the halfway house. He got out before me. He had four of like these five major certificates and he was going for the fifth one, which was huge. I mean, we're talking about days of being uh, of, well, you know what they are, days of being tested. Yeah. Then he had to go in front of a board that questioned him. Like he had mm -hmm. passed them all flying because he was brilliant. This is yeah. a guy who would sit down for 20 hours straight in front of the and, and not eat and do nothing but but play on the computer and design things and yeah. you know, whatever they call. It. Anyway, this guy's making he was making over $150,000 within 2 years of being out of prison because yeah. his bosses were like you're you're insane like you're like he, his bosses who had been doing it some of them 10, 15, 20 years were like you're, you're just better than me. Sure. You know, yeah. that, that's it. You nailed it. That that's actually the key thing It's the it's the natural proclivity to think that way. So here's a funny story. So, um, and, and, uh, you know, other people you've interviewed in the same world that I'm in that we all know each other would probably arguably say a very similar thing. A lot of the folks that are, we call them boy scouts, the ones that work for the government that have the perfect record, they get yeah. all the, the SSCI level clearances and all that. It's not that they're bad, bad at what they do at all. This is not about an indictment of their skill. What's funny is that they just can't think in a way uh, that, that is applicable to the thing, the problem. Like in other words, when I'm on a hunt, I'm literally thinking like the criminal. I'm not right. thinking like the investigator. And a, and a lot of people, you know, don't realize that that's part of the the training that that you know law enforcement goes through, which is you have the profilers. Really good example of the people that are like chasing around really scary people, like serial killers. You know, there's a lot of shows that now. Yeah, show yeah, that. yeah. But that's very much that talent. What's so interesting is that people that listen to your show that maybe are in a state of either recovery from some of, from that world, or they're they're upset with the world and they're contemplating going into it. You said it best. There's huge opportunities that are not apparent sometimes. They're not very clear that you could actually do something legitimate using those skills. It's not that you have to forego that 
you know, you're, you're doing exactly that now. You know, you've literally taken, these are fascinating stories. There's a lot of people that listen to this because they're really interested in how you think or how people like you think, because it's something so foreign to them. There's a lot of very innocent people in the world that can't even begin to conceive of how you would even start a scam. They're like, how would you even begin? And it's like, well, pretty obvious to me. And it's pretty obvious to you, but it's not obvious to a lot of folks. Well, I think, you know, it's like people saying like, well, how could you get a, how could I, how could I get a driver's license in your name? Right. Right. I don't know your social security number. I don't know your date of birth. I'm probably don't even know. I don't even think I know your, your full name. If you end up assuming you have a middle name, like how do you go about doing that? And you know, even if I knew that information, how do I order those documents? Well, the, the moment they say, oh, we need a copy of your driver's license. They're like, I, I don't have his driver's license. I can't get the document. I can't get his, his birth certificate. I, I, don't, I don't have his driver's license. It's like, it's a stop. How could yeah. he get it? Well, he has his driver's license. What if his house burned down and he had nothing and he was naked standing outside of his house? Or in, he was in his underwear standing outside of his house watching everything he has burned and both of his parents were deceased and, that, and everything's gone. How would he get it? Why not? I guess he wouldn't. Really, he wouldn't get it. You think that there's no vehicle out there that allows him to get a copy of his driver's license from scratch? Uh, well, I guess. Uh, and you go listen. So you know. So to me, I always started thinking immediately. They only want a copy, so it only has to look like a driver's license. You know, they only want. They don't know what he looks. Well, it doesn't have his picture on it. They don't know what he looks like. Yeah. You know, this is some woman sitting in a in the you know in the statistical you know, in the, uh, where the birth certificate office, 15, you know, 15 States away. If she gets a cashier's check for $25, it says, I want a certified copy of this driver's license or his birth certificate. And it has all the questions filled out correctly. And it's got a copy of a driver's license. She's sending you the birth certificate, you know? So it was all these you know, to me, it was always like, there's another, there's a way, there's a way to get this. And I just had to figure out that way. And once you get one or two documents, it's, you know, it's that you crack the door. I can kick that door wide open. And now I have everything. And all those documents are start being used to gather more documents. And before you know it, I'm you and I'm walking Mm -hmm. into your bank account and your bank, or I'm applying for a loan and your property, or I'm doing all these things that you people think aren't possible. Um, it's, it's like everybody has certain skill sets. And I I used to teach the real estate class in, in Mm. prison. I taught it for 10 years. So I taught it at a medium security prison for three years and seven years at the, at the low security prison. And I used to walk in because, you know, these guys like they, they're, you got a bunch of drug dealers in there and, you know, they have no education. They don't have it. If they, they Maybe they have a prison GED and they're right. sitting in there and they're trying to figure out these guys are getting out soon and they don't know what to do. They're mm-hmm. either they've decided they're going back to prison or they're going to be a rapper or mm-hmm. they're going to, you know, they don't know what to do. And then some of them are like, well, maybe I could, you know, maybe I could do real estate or something or fix up houses or something. And I would go in there and I would, one of the first things I'd say is like, is, are there any, anybody here for, for drugs? And they yeah. raise their hand and I'd be like, whoo, this is the, this is probably one of the few, few chances or few times in your life that being a drug dealer is going to be a major advantage to you. You have a hustler mentality. You're used to going into rough neighborhoods. You don't mind knocking on a door and being turned down. You're, 
this, like right now, you guys are about to shine. And listen, yeah. I had guys walking out of that class, stopping me at the door and shaking my hand. <laughs> like, bro, this that was amazing. Yeah. That was an amazing class. And I would have guys come to me and and I'd be in the chow hall or something. And some guy would walk up. He'd go, hey, bro, my celly is taking your class. And I'm like, okay. He's like, I'm going to sign up next quarter. And I'd go, oh, okay, how come? He'd go, listen, this dude just came in the other day. And he said, I'm taking Matt Cox's real estate course. He goes, I'm going to be a millionaire, bro. Yeah. Telling you right now. He said, all I got to do. And he's like, he, and he's like, I never seen this dude so excited about anything in my whole life. He's ordering real estate books from the street. Like he's yeah. just from... Because it, it's true. Like, and I used to say, like, do you think that a 40 year old divorcee white woman is going to yeah. go into a neighborhood yeah. that you'll go, that you'll go into? Right. Like she doesn't have that hustler mentality. She right. she wants to sit behind a desk. She wants to talk to other women like her. And you know, like like you guys can go get those deals. You guys can, you know, you just have to know, you know, how to you know, how to talk, you know, correctly. You need to know, you know, you need to know how to how a how a closing takes place, how um, negotiations yeah. take place, how to write a contract, how to what a closing means, you know, what documents need to be signed. What so we go through all that and uh, but yeah, I think that most people they don't play to their strengths. No, and a lot no, of times they a lot of times they think their strengths are weaknesses, and that's not that's another problem. Very well said. Very well said. You know, it's funny, Matt. Um, so my my day job. Um, one of them, um, I have several things that I do, but one of them is actually helping ultra high net worth individuals and, and family offices stay secure. And, um, it began very similar to the ways that you were talking about that friend of yours that went into the world of penetration testing and vulnerability assessments and all that. And then it grew out from there. And this is a long time ago. This is in the late nineties. So I'm ancient when it comes to this, but as far as the way it, the way it evolved is, I started to provide counterintelligence and countermeasure services to my, to my clients. And what that is, is predicting where the threat will be coming from and setting up essentially not traps because the goal isn't to necessarily catch the adversary because that's like you said, there's no point. It's more just deter them, move along, go right. find a lower fruit or easier target. But it was fascinating because a lot of these people that are uber successful and they, they feel like God's in their own way because they've somehow either made money through family means or there's a trust fund situation or maybe they were in, inventive and ingenious with something. And ultimately, it, it manifested into huge wealth. Whenever I tell them that we're going to have to do this, this and this and this, because this is probably a way that they're going to come at you, they're gobsmacked. They have no idea how the hell. We came up with that as a risk. And then we cite all the ways that they are exposed. And they're like, oh, my God, I had no idea that that was a way that I could be infiltrated. And it's funny because it takes people that are inclined and have the proclivity or maybe, and he'd say it, maybe there's been a desperation in their lives to have to become that hustler, to have their mind and the synapses in their mind evolve in such a way that make them think that way. And, And I mean, I'm sure you'd agree with me. Once you think that way, you can never not think that way again. Right. You will always think like that, whether you act on or not beside the point, but you'll always think about it. <laughs> and it's cool because it's like, well, that's a, that's a superhero power, man. Like Matt, yeah. you've got to 
you've got a superhero. Power. And that's what you were bringing out with those guys in prison. I think that's amazing because they're look, they shouldn't be praised for the bad behavior, but they should be absolutely encouraged for the skill that they've been able to engender to use it for something else. Right. Do, I, I had folks that worked for me that have um, been in a less than savory position and have done some time and they had a very similar story. And look, for one, I've never had more loyal and capable folks work for me than people that have probably been through a rough period oh, yeah. and, and have a new opportunity presented to them where they get to use those skills, but for something completely good. And it's awesome, man. I love those guys. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I, I've been told in the comment section to thank my guests. Listen, my, my comment section is nothing but just, you know, telling me how I should be doing things and things that I'm doing badly, which, you know, it's fine. It's, 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 you know, constructive criticism. So thank you very much for taking the time to, uh, you know, or spending this time with me. My pleasure. Um, Hey, I appreciate you guys watching the interview. If you liked it, do me a favor and subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell so you get notified of videos just like this. Leave me a comment in the comment section. Also, please consider joining my Patreon. And I really appreciate you guys. See ya.